0: For Thrift Savings Plan investors, 2023 so far has brought a partial climb back out of the depths of 2022. It's also a good time to separate the patient investors over here and the would-be market timers over there. We get more from certified financial planner Art Stein. And Art, let's start with a review of TSP funds so far. How are they doing relative to where they were and how are they doing relative to the market in general?
1: Year to date. Rates of return for all the t s p funds have been very good, and for the stock funds they've really been great uh the C funds up seventeen percent this year, the s fund thirteen percent the i fund twelve percent those are really big rates of return for a six month period. F funds up two percent and uh the G funds up two percent too. These are all rounded to one percent of course so a very good year now a lot of contrast to last year which was an unusually bad year because both the bond uh, the f fund the the intermediate term bond fund and all the three stock funds were down by double digits and you know a certain number of people are during those kinds of decline are tempted to pull their money out of the stock funds and probably the bond fund too and put it in the g fund which has An advantage that it never fluctuates in value. It's never going to go down. It's never going to go up very much either. But people like that safety. And that hurts them because then they're not invested in the stock funds when the stocks start to go up. And for employees, what I find maybe even more disturbing is the people that do this, Tom, tend to then start making their bi weekly investments into the G fund too, instead of, you know, concentrating those into the funds that have gone down in value, which gives them the opportunity to buy shares when they're cheap, which is a lot of leverage when they start going up. It's really an emotional reaction can very much hurt people. Other thing to keep in mind is that really bad years, you know, historically Uh, have been followed by lots of very good years. And overall, you know, if you look long periods of time, the uh, TSP funds, the stock funds have way outperformed the bond funds over the last 15 years. The average annual return per year for the C fund was 11 percent, 9 percent for S. And you know compare that with 2.9% for the F fund and 2.3% for the G fund it's a big difference
0: in other words you should have your strategy in place and be patient with it even when it gets a little wavy and you get a little bit of queasiness
1: yeah um investors need to anticipate these types of market declines you know there's always a potential and you know, the worst thing that someone can do is to try and time it in advance. So, you know, people were pulling out, you know, in anticipation of a uh, recession this year, which has been heavily forecasted and has never happened. <laughs> you know, and it doesn't look like it's going to happen anytime soon unless we, uh, you know, there's some kind of terrible event happens to cause it, which, You know, I mean, if you look at COVID, you look at the war in Ukraine, uh, lots of other things. I mean, it's possible, but to invest for that doesn't make sense.
0: And sometimes the economy and markets will surprise you. I mean, everyone anticipated with these rising rates of interest. Okay, the inflation was tamped down, but it didn't really have the recessionary effects that people remember vestigially from the 1980s.
1: Absolutely. I mean, the reason the Fed raised interest rates was to reduce inflation, even if it meant that we would have a recession and they were willing to make that sacrifice. They've done it before. And, you know, as painful as it is, it makes sense. But the recession has not happened. And the most striking thing is that employment is, you know, the employment numbers are great. Unemployment is very low. And that is really counterintuitive to a time when interest rates have increased so much.
0: Well, that's right. I mean, it could be that we are on a verge of a structural change in the economy and the way it operates. I mean, this happens from time to time, you know, every 50 years or so, you know, the so called service economy. I don't know what the next economy is, but it seems like all of that was accelerated to some degree, maybe by the pandemic.
1: That could be. But it could also be, Tom, that just economists are not very good at forecasting the effects of things like higher interest rates. I mean, they can look back and say, you know, looking at all the historical examples, most of the time this happened if we did this. But it's never all the time. And the exceptions can put a permanent dent in someone's investments if they make the wrong move. I mean, what we do for clients in my firm is we don't do anything in advance. We don't try and forecast the market. But when the market goes down a lot, we sell bond funds to put money into stock funds and that we take advantage of the decline in the markets. Now, when the markets are way up, then we're selling stock funds to put money into bond funds and take advantage of the big increases in stocks. That way we're not forecasting, we're reacting to what has actually happened. I think that's better. What I would suggest for TSP investors is that they keep in mind there's always a stock market crash coming up. It's just we don't have any idea when it's going to happen. The next one could be 11 years from now. For all I know, Tom, it could be 11 days from now. But you need to have a plan as to what you're going to do. And pulling money out in advance is not a good plan.
0: Right. And so how do you balance what you do with your plan versus that idea of sticking with your strategy and not trying to time the market. There's some kind of middle ground there that makes sense for individual well, investors. I, I
1: just think don't try and manage your investments, move money around in, in anticipation of what you think might happen, or even what you read in all the papers and here on CNBC what they think is going to happen, no matter how many people think it's going to happen. And But if something does happen, well, then maybe you just continue to invest, you continue with the same allocation you had before, or maybe you move money into what's gone down in value, because selling high and buying low, and then maybe selling high later, that's the way to make a profit. But if you're it's too tempting to sell once things start going down and the markets crash and people get scared and disgusted. And then they're selling low. And it's very hard to get back into the market emotionally.
0: Right. And so you have to kind of filter out a lot of the news stream and the consensus forecasts and all of this information. It's almost hard to avoid hearing it day in, day out. And reading it too. And I mean, Keep in mind, and you know you know this
1: a lot better than I do, if you're on CNBC five days a week or you're writing an article for the Wall Street Journal five days a week, you have to come up with some hook five days a week. So it's easy to like overanalyze the market and say, the market is telling us this, or the market's unhappy about that, or this makes the market nervous. And The market is not a person, and it doesn't react that way. The sum total of millions of decisions being made every day by I don't know how many numbers of people, and the net result of that is that the market is going to go up or down.
0: Yeah, people treat the market the same way they treat Twitter or something or social media, you know, you see these headlines. Twitter goes crazy over XYZ. You know, my answer always is, so what? That means yeah. absolutely it, nothing in reality.
1: Yeah. And a lot of the analysis you'll see, if you look closely, you frequently see the words, the market may crash this year. Well, yeah, that could happen. Or it may go up. I mean, that's not really a forecast. That's just stating the obvious. It could go up or down. It's like we could have rain this year. Yeah, you know, that'll happen. You need to ignore a lot of that and just look at the historical trends. Past performance, no guarantee of future performance, but historically, stocks have outperformed bonds in well-diversified, well-managed portfolios by significant amounts long-term, but have way underperformed for months or in some cases years. Well, for most people, the TSP is a long-term investment, and they need to invest
0: accordingly. Yeah, this would seem like a good time to stick with the plan because the market is up. Again, we don't know what it's going to do in the second half of the year, but the fundamentals such as they are have driven this market, and nothing has fundamentally changed. The inflation seems to be under control now they're talking about wage inflation but that's kind of a hard thing to be against i guess if your wages are going up yeah so- i mean wage
1: inflation for most people that's a good thing because their wages are going up and it's not like the price of a chicken goes up for no reason at all i mean the chicken doesn't get anything out of that as we know <laughs> right. and we want to see wages go up more quickly than uh inflation and you know historically more efficient use of resources and things like computers and maybe AI have allowed for wages to go up much more quickly than inflation.
0: Certified financial planner Art Stein. will end on that note. Thanks a lot, Tom. And we'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on demand. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Leadership today, especially within the federal workforce, is being tested more than ever before. Everett Kelly, National President of the American Federation of Government Employees, joined Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, to share how his upbringing in rural Alabama eventually propelled him to the forefront of thousands of union members, raising a collective voice. After years of leadership with both the largest federal employee union and as a pastor, Everett Kelly reflects on his deep-rooted values of integrity and hard work work.
2: Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today I'm joined by Mr. Everett Kelly, National President of the American Federation of Government Employees. Everett, welcome, and thank you for being
3: here. Shane, thank you. It's a pleasure. mine.
2: You first joined AFGE in 1981 during what eventually became your 30 years of service at Anniston Army Depot. We're now more than 40 years past 1981, and you've been the union's national president since 2020. How has your decades-long involvement with AFGE impacted the way you view your role now as the union's leader?
3: The time that I spent as local president, I simultaneously spent that same time as a pastor in Alabama. I like to say that this was my training ground. Because as I was entering into the role of unionism, I was also entering into ministry. And so I see my role, even as the union leader, as ministry. It's never an understatement because this is what I believe. I believe that if you love people and show people that you love them, people will follow you. My business is in the business of growing people. Uh, and that's what I do. And I, and I think that my training as a pastor and as a union uh, leader has given me the ability to really, you know, uh, grow people because I feel like that, you know, it's my responsibility both as a union leader and as a pastor to ensure that people have a liberal wage. It's also uh, my responsibility to ensure that people are treated fair with dignity and respect on the job. And I think that goes in both uh arena so so I've seen this you know as ministry as I've grown through the four decades of leading people putting those two
2: together is amazing a f g e handles a massive array of issues and topics of importance to feds across many departments and agencies. What is it like being at the forefront of all those moving parts, and how do you manage it all?
3: Well, first of all, let me give kudos to my staff, okay. Because it's just no way that I could manage all of this work and all the moving parts by myself. But I have an excellent staff that always makes sure that I'm prepared and that I'm ready. But it's exciting. It's exciting to be out in the forefront, you know, uh, bringing people to the realization that they have something to fight for. But again, I cannot. And please understand, when I say I cannot, it's it's what I truly believe. I cannot do it without a good, strong staff. Uh, And I tell anybody that, but I enjoy fighting for the cause. I enjoy standing in front of a group of AFG members, calling them to action, and then standing back and watching that action come to fruition. Because I know that I'm not the one that's doing it, okay? They are the one that's doing it. I'm merely casting a vision. Right. And I enjoy casting a vision and then watching that vision come to fruition. And it's the staff and the members that get that done.
2: As CEO at at WEPA, I completely and totally understand that we rely on them. It's not just nice to have. We rely on. Absolutely. As AFGE president, you often speak at union rallies and other events widely attended by federal employees. What's it like to experience that direct connection to employees? And how does that influence your leadership style?
3: You know, that gets me excited, okay? To be standing in front of a group of AFGE leaders gets me excited. To hear the words, who are we, and the chants that come back that says AFGE gets me excited. It gets my motor uh, running, if you will. And it's exciting to look at them and see the motivation in their faces, when they're fighting for a cause and, and, and all of us come together and fight uh, in solidarity, fight as one, raise one voice. You can't explain the feeling. You just know that it's right. You know, I just know that it's right. When I'm standing there and I feel this and I never fail to say thank you again, because I'm the one that merely cast division. They are the ones that get the work done. And so when I see them out there, ready to go, and that call to action goes out, and then I see them really begin to march on that uh, initiative, it's an energy that I cannot explain.
2: I can explain it, I'm feeling it right now. (laughs) Um, Describe how your personal background and upbringing folds into how you function as a
3: leader. You know, understanding that I was born in the deep south, I was born in a little small town in Goodwater, Alabama, population 1,292 today. Born to parents that, and I hope I don't offend anybody, and I've got to quit saying this, but but I was born to a set of parents that believed and trusted in God. And that began to establish who I was. I began to trust God myself in everything that I do. I, I trust God even in this situation as a union leader, because my parents taught me to believe in uh, the Bible and with that came do unto others as you would have them to do unto you. In other words, treat people right. Treat people with respect. Right. Do what's right. It taught me, you know, about integrity. Right. It taught me about being honest, you know, and that's what's needed in the role of a leader of this union. It, it, it's, it's needed uh, and, you know, I try to portray that. I try to portray a person of honesty and a person of integrity. And so being in the deep South, you know, you you, you just learn those things. And that's what has helped me uh, throughout my path as a union leader. And it's always nice that whole
2: approach because you don't have multiple approaches with different people or different sets of different tasks, different energy. It's it's always straightforward, yes. honest. Here's the truth. Yes. And it, it's it's easy. Yes. Right? Yes. It's a lot easier than having multiple personas. Absolutely. You,
3: yeah. Absolutely.
2: What's one piece of advice if you could go back and tell yourself when you were starting your career?
3: You know, I don't know you asked for one, but I'm I'm going to have to elaborate on two. Yeah, if that's yeah. okay. Number one, I would explain the urgency of integrity a lot sooner than what I did, right? Because to me, integrity is not necessarily what you see others do or what others see you do, but integrity to me is what you do even when no one is looking. And so I I would really begin to stress that importance more so at an earlier state in my leadership role rather than the latter part. Okay, I begin to stress that more now, but I wish I had began to do that more at the earlier states in my uh, role. Secondly, I would tell myself to always and I'm going back to my roots, always work hard and don't ever accept no as an answer. Right. Because I just believe that if you want it bad enough, if you want to achieve it, you can it's all about the amount of work you put into it, right? And the and the amount of faith you have that it can be accomplished. So when I look at AFGE and its membership, and where we were four or five years ago and where we are today, that's a reminder that you can do whatever you want to do if you put your mind to it and work hard enough.
2: And one question that's always kind of interesting at, at the end of our time together is, is there one person, you mentioned your parents before, mm-hmm. um, is there one person or maybe more than one who really inspired you when you were younger that you
3: might even think back on today? It was my grandmother, you know, with the understanding that when and when I was born, right, as I said, I was born in the Deep South. My father worked extremely hard. We didn't have a whole lot. You know, my, I had 12 siblings. And so when I was born, I was very sick. As a matter of fact, the doctor said I wouldn't live to be 16 years old. The doctor said I wouldn't ever hold a job. But my grandmother would always teach me how to pray. And she taught me about faith. And it is prayer and faith that has allowed me to be standing here today. Suppose I've been dead 50 years ago, but I'm 66 years old now. And it's all because of my faith